Hello everybody, my name is Daniel Dollinger and this is the Engineering Success Podcast, episode 9. Yep, we are defying the odds here at the Engineering Success Podcast. We are all the way into episode 9 and we are going to have a lovely episode ahead of us today. We're going to have our next edition of How I Got Here. This time it's going to be How I Got Here, Law School After Engineer. Yep, we have a lovely guest today, one of my good friends from undergrad, Riley Goldwaite, who was part of my engineering study cohort, spent a year in engineering industry, and then decided to go back to law school. So uh, we're going to get to hear about what that experience has been like for her and how her engineering background has transferred to law school and the internships and the career aspirations that she has now. But uh, before we get into her interview, I just wanted to give a quick reminder that if you want to be a top-tier promoter of the Engineering Success Podcast, you can contribute to the podcast directly on Anchor. $10 a month gets you every single episode weekly recognition as a top-tier supporter of the podcast. $5 gets you a one-time recognition. We'd really appreciate your support so that that way I can finally buy myself a pop filter so you don't hear my audio going crazy during this episode. And um, yeah, I, I really appreciate the support. We're up to about 60 regular listeners an episode on the audio platforms that I track and uh, again about 100 listeners per episode on YouTube. So we're making some great progress here. But uh, yeah, uh, and then after the interview, we'll do our we'll bring back our recurring bit of quit your job, which uh which is a story that I pull from anywhere on somebody who should definitely quit their job. And then I'll respond to two career questions uh, and give my two cents that nobody asked for. So anyways, I look forward to the rest of this episode. We'll go ahead and kick it over to my interview with Riley, and then I'll catch you guys back at the end of that interview for some career questions. All right, I am here with Riley Goldwaite. Riley is a JD candidate at the South Texas College of Law, and she's currently interning for the United States District Court for Southern District of Texas. She graduated from Trinity University with a Bachelor of Science in Engineering Science. Yeah, engineering and law, we'll get more into that later. She minored in math and physics, and uh, she has a bunch of really cool recognitions that I guess I've already gone into the full introduction, so I'll just go ahead and give them. Uh, she's a member of the South Texas Law Review. She's a presidential fellow. She'll have to elaborate on that later. She's a Phi Delta Phi Honor Society member, and she has been awarded uh, the Cali Awards, which basically means that you're super smart in legal research <laughs> and writing one and property one. So uh, thanks for hopping on, Riley. Hi, Daniel. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm excited. Yeah, I, I'm excited too. I um, I, I've actually really ever since you went to law school, I've kind of really been looking forward to this episode because I was like, not everybody goes this way. So it's uh, right. Yeah, it's um, it's, I, I mean, yeah, I'm selfishly very excited to see your your career journey, and I'm kind of living vicariously through you at this point. Well, then I hope I live up to your expectations. <laughs> yeah. All right. So law school, let's get yes. started. How did you get here? Let's start from college and let's walk through all the things that the couple of different things that you've done in your career to get to this point. So you graduated college in 2019 from Trinity. Yes. And between then and now it's 2021, you're in law school. What happened? So I started working as a design engineer at Premier Inc, which is an oil and gas service company about a month out of uh, college. And I worked there for a little over a year, almost a year and a half before I went to law school. And it was a cool experience. You know, I got to work on some cool projects there. I was designing and assisting with the testing of different buttress and external upset and connections. And through that project, I got to run a team of field technicians. I also designed and modified assemblies and machine parts used for our casing and tubing services. And something that's pretty applicable to law school is I wrote product reports and manuals for the tools. And those were tools that we were building. And then we gave mm -hmm. those manuals to the customers. And I think that's something that helped strengthen my writing skills for sure. That's cool. So what 
process in the oil and gas service company was Premier? Was it Midstream? Yes. Yeah. So for people that aren't really familiar what Midstream is, could you kind of elaborate a little bit on that? So we did uh, downhole stuff and midstream stuff, but basically you have a well bore and you need to get the oil out. You need to drill the hole. You need to uh, make your casing for the hole. We did all yeah. of those services. So just part of an integral part of oil and gas for sure. And as a service company, that means we also had cr crews that would go out and do that for you. You could just buy our product or yeah. you could also hire us to complete the job for you. Cool, cool. Yeah, I, that's one of those uh, jargon words that gets thrown out a lot about oil and gas. And I guess if you're not in in it, which like us, I, I guess I'm kind of in oil and gas. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, people that we don't do midstream. Um, yeah, but people, um, yeah, people don't know what that word is. So thanks for thanks for explaining it. And then, so that was your job that you did before law school, right? Yes. Yeah. So you kind of that was kind of a that was. There's nothing in between there. So before that, uh, while you were in college, did you have any internships? Yes, I interned with CNJ Energy Services, which is another oil and gas service company. My between my sophomore and junior year, I was an engineering intern in the research and technology department in Houston. And then between my junior and senior year, I was in Pleasanton, Texas, and I was a field engineer for them. And with that, I got to do a lot more hands-on things. So R&T stuff was more building models and then field engineering i was in the field doing root cause analysis and finding solutions to problems like live yeah cool well field field engineering um as an intern uh as a younger person i'm sure that there's a lot of stories uh that came out of that and maybe we can go oh, yeah. into yeah we, i think those will come Being up later a, right yeah 21 two year old girl on the field with a bunch of you know, oil and gas guys is a different experience. I was the only woman on on the in the field. Yeah, <laughs> was that um, was that a pleasant experience? It depends. I mean, most days, yes. A lot of the men were very traditional, so they were trying to be respectful. And then, of course, you have the ones that are making crude comments, hitting on you, and you know, not what you're looking for in a workplace environment. But uh, yeah. They they locked up a porta potty for me so that I wouldn't have to use the same one as the men. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, that's so I guess that's very thoughtful. That's nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So now you're in law school and you work for the US District Court. So what is that like? So working in the federal courthouse has been a really cool opportunity. I've learned a lot about the inner workings of the courthouse and the judges' chambers specifically. So each morning we're sent a daily schedule and a docket sheet, and I'll pick a few, either the jury trials, a hearing, a final judgment, a proceeding, whatever's going on for any judge, I'll pick a few I want to see that day. But then day to day, I'm writing memorandums and orders on behalf of my judge, I'm editing and proofreading documents, I'm researching the law, and there's a few interns that work in the chambers with me. And then our law clerks are just awesome and they're really helpful and they kind of guide us on these writing assignments because yeah. when you're sitting in front of a record of 800 pages and they just say now write this memo on behalf of the judge you're like I'm, what am i doing <laughs> but yeah. it's been really awesome yeah so um yeah so also confusing here so i'm gonna need some help with some of these words so i know okay. what a memo is but what is a judge's memo so a memo and order is going to be say you have a plaintiff and a defendant and they both made a motion yeah. this is going to be you're either uh, you're either affirming or denying yeah okay. one of their motions and so the memo is just you have an order which is just going to be your the final judgment order like this is what you're going to do and then yeah. your memo is your reasoning so why are okay. you doing it so you'll have the history of this specific case you'll yeah. have the law you'll have how this case fits in with case law and then you'll have the final decision and normally this is because of a motion or because of an appeal and something of that nature cool yeah there's i know there's a lot of jargon here so let's go back to a couple more bits of jargon docket okay. what's a docket it's just what's happening around the courthouse that day so it's going to list the court or the zoom number and yeah. it's going to tell you what judge it is and what they're doing um, and then if you want to look up more information about, you know, it's just going to say Suarez v. whoever, and you want to look up more info about that, you can. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's it gives sweet. you the rundown of what's going on around the courthouse. Otherwise, you would have no idea. It's a huge building. You yeah. would only know what's happening in your chambers. Yeah. And so so working for the, the, the district court, I mean, where does that fall in like the scale of cases? Like what, how, how many other courts, I guess, would something have had to gone through to get to that point? So it depends. Um, some of what we're doing is an appeal. So for example, I just worked on a project where it went through the, the state courts uh -huh. and then they removed it to federal court, okay. which is a process within itself. And yeah. then they had a judgment and now they're appealing that judgment. Uh -huh. And in my case that I just did, it already was appealed, was sent back down for a new court appearance, went through again, and now they're appealing it again. So that was a unique one because we already had a one of the U.S. district judges reverse and remand it, and now it's back to us again. Wow. So that, 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 there's a lot of cases that, I guess, get stuck in the courts like that, that they kind of are just circling. Oh, yeah. It's different. been about 10 years for, for our plaintiff. Wow. That's... But some of them are really speedy. It really depends what you're working on. And yeah. sometimes it's, you know, someone who's in prison who pleaded guilty, but yeah. they're second guessing their decision and they're trying to find a way to be released or get a second chance at a trial. And so yeah. they're looking for whatever they can to try to reverse that judgment and say, oh, I, I didn't mean to plead guilty. I didn't know what I was doing, whatever the case might be. So yeah. it really depends. Some of them, like those would be final judgments at that point. Yeah. And as an intern and like applying all the things that you've learned in, in college, is it, is it, I mean, in law school, is it, is it difficult to kind of like separate yourself and your own, I guess, your own personal views on things from like the, the legal interpretation and the way things going? Is that, has that been like a really good experience for you getting to see all that happen? So sometimes I definitely feel for the claimant or the plaintiff yeah. and I want them to have a win, but when you're looking at this, you're saying, what's the law? Because yeah. that's that's what you have to go on. And it doesn't matter if you're feeling for this person, if the law doesn't give them a win, that is what it is. So you definitely, your people hear the things and they're like, how are they not guilty? Or how is that not reversed? How are they in jail or whatever the case might be? Because yeah. when you're looking at emotionally, that makes sense. When you dive into the law, you realize, there was nothing that they could do here. Like, wish I could help, I can't. And it's really out of your hands and it makes it easier because you, you only have the power to, you can, as a an attorney for the plaintiff, try to find a way to make some law fit so yeah. that you have a win or find a case and argue how it works. But a lot of the times it's things that have already been well-established. And unless yeah. there's a change, this is the law and this is what you have to do. And these are the steps you have to follow or these are the elements you have to have. And yeah. it's as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, speaking of like that that mentality, so what was the moment when you realized, hey, maybe I should go to law school. Maybe maybe I don't need to be a design engineer. And I'm, I'm just curious how you got to that point. So I never really thought about law school until my, until my senior year of college. I had a family friend reach out to me, actually, who is a pretty accomplished lawyer. And he thought law school would fit my personality well and would be something I enjoy. So he sort of uh, planted the seed. And then I started to do some research on my own and discussed it with my parents. But I wanted to see out my career in engineering, especially after the gruesome four years of getting that degree. So yeah. I took my job at Premier Inc. And then part of my job was reviewing patents that we were filing. And I took that as a sign. And so I decided to start studying for the LSAT. After I got my score back, I said, let's do it. And I applied to law schools. And then I chose South Texas because they gave me a decent number of scholarship money, which was important to me since my parents actually have five kids in college this year, which is insane. Oh my um, God. <laughs> and I also really wanted to stay in Houston, especially yeah. because around when I was getting acceptances and applying was the start of COVID. And I didn't know how the virus was going to affect the classroom. And if I'm going to be doing Zoom University I really wanted it to be somewhere where I thought I could flourish. And I like that South Texas College of Law is simply a law school. It doesn't yeah. have 
other programs. So they're devoted to getting us in the classroom. And we had a hybrid system this past year. So instead of it being all on Zoom, some classes were on Zoom and some were in person and they had very strict like social distancing. It felt very safe and it was still your option. You didn't have to come in person, but I think it would have been a lot harder to do law school completely on Zoom. I liked having the option to come in and make it feel more real. And I think it made me a better student. Yeah, that's awesome. So so you got into multiple law schools and you got to like make your pick. So you must have had like a really attractive application as uh, I mean, as you put it together. I think that um, they're probably not used to seeing a female engineering student athlete involved in a lot of different leadership roles in many clubs apply to go to law school after working for a year like I think that is definitely something that catches people's attention Um, and I I would say that I discussed all that in my personal statement and I talked about how what I went through to earn my degree you know I was part of the softball team a lot of clubs which when I had a lot of late nights yeah um, and I was trying to stay on top of my schoolwork or the best that I could. And yeah. I was candid that it was tough, but I knew that if I could accomplish that, then I definitely could handle a law school. I, I felt positive that I could. And yeah, I think that they agreed too. Yeah, no, you're kind of a badass, you know, vice mm-hmm. president of your sorority, four years as a student athlete. Yeah, um, graduate with an engineering degree in four years. I mean, I mean, all of those things individually are such, um, amazing accomplishments and it was I mean is honestly remarkable to because I witnessed a lot of those late nights because mm. I'd be getting ready to to finish studying for the night and you'd just kind of roll into the you'd roll into the study room and you'd be like all right where are we at and then I said bed <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then and then you and John Park would do uh, no sleep till ship yes at, my uh, late night study buddy yeah shout out to John Park he has to listen to the podcast now <laughs> Yeah, but I know I kind of skipped ahead a little bit, but yeah, I just, I mean, that's absolutely phenomenal. It's really cool that you got to this uh, this point here. So, so moving forward, what areas of law are you interested in pursuing your career in? Are, I know you said a little bit about patent earlier. Is that kind of related or are there any kind of cool fields for engineering that, I mean, not engineering, that's my brain. Any cool things for lawyers that are really good for en- people with engineering degrees, if people like like you? So I'm still early on in my law school career, so I'm not entirely sure what area of law, but as an engineer with that hard science background, I can pursue IP law, which would be intellectual property law. And I definitely want to check it out and see if that would be something I enjoy. But as an engineering student or engineering major, I often get pigeonholed into IP. And that's the first yeah. question everyone asks me. So I am interested in checking it out and seeing if I like it, but I'm also interested in kind of going through and seeing if I would also like corporate law, if I'd also like litigation, but honestly, I'm open to many areas. I just really want to find my fit. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very interesting, like the different paths, even that I've observed in my own company, obviously we have like different general, we're an engineering and construction company. And we, so we have an, we have our general counsel that, that our assistant general counsel that oversees our engineering arm. And we have our one that oversees our, 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 I guess our EPC engineering procurement and construction jobs. And then even we have people that like they're, they oversee the commercial relationships with customers, but they also happen to have law degrees. It's just, it seems like on the corporate side, at least what I get to see, there's just so many different things that you can do um, as somebody with a law degree, law degree by itself, but also that you'd be put in a good position as somebody that uh, has an engineering degree as well. And you have that extra level of understanding. So that makes right. sense. And depending where you work, you might be given an opportunity to try them all out. If you work at a firm that has different practice areas and they let you kind of rotate through to you figure out what you want to do. Yeah. Um, but then you can also specialize in if you really know what you want to do, or if you really want to try something out for size, go to a firm that specializes in whatever area you'd like to practice. Yeah. So you're, you're working in the district courts now. Are you looking to do co- more of a corporate uh, type field for your next internship next summer? I'm not sure what I want to do. Maybe some area of big law because big law does have all those practice areas 
and they would allow a lot of the programs would allow you to rotate through and so that would give me a taste for each area but big law is its own beast within itself so okay. i kind of just have to decide what is so okay you're gonna have to help me out here what is big law is it like kind of like the big four in accounting is it like the same <laughs> it's a thing similar but for law? idea it's a similar idea it's the size of the firm yeah. and you know they're the powerhouse firms that are well known big law is what you know what pays well but you have to sell your soul and you're working late hours uh, but uh you know it, it really depends what you're looking for i i'm i get some law tiktoks on my feed and there are people like go to big law because it pays well then you yeah. have to work all hours or go to a smaller mid-sized firm do what you actually love you'll make more money later on in life so it really just depends what you want to do yeah there's pros and cons of each I just think that given the fact that I want to kind of rotate through, that yeah. might be a good avenue to do it. Yeah. Um, I say that now, but like I said, I'm still young. So no one slight me if that sounds silly. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that public service wasn't in there. And is that something that you're interested in? Or is it one of those things that you've kind of already realized that, hey, that's not exactly what I want to do? Yeah. I don't think that's what I want to do. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I think that I've talked to a lot of people, oh, not a lot, but I have a couple of friends that are that are in law school and I've talked to a lot of them about it. And I, I think the understanding that I've gotten from people is that there are more ways to make a difference than just by being a public servant. So we shouldn't look down on people that have already decided that, hey, that's not the, the best fit for me. So I think that that's right. a, a very valuable thing for people to understand if they're going into law school, right? There's, there's more than one way to make a difference than working mm -hmm long hours for no pay uh without really much resource at all right and some people you know they have a personal story and they feel called to do something in that area or to do a specific type of law that maybe isn't as uh glamorous as others yeah. but and that's awesome and we we need those people as well i yeah. just personally don't feel like that's the right fit for me yeah yeah well i, I appreciate you uh sharing more about that so all right, so I think I lost my spot, but all right, here we go. So <laughs> engineering degree, law school, again, we got out of the pigeonhole of IP. So what else about being an engineer also transfers to you, transfers for you to law? I think being an engineer has given me the ability to think objectively and find solutions to problems. I'm used to having heavy workloads, being analytical, and those are skills that can all transfer to law. In terms yeah. of substance, there are not much transfers unless I am doing IP law, because then I would be looking at things that I already have an understanding of because of my science background. Yeah. But especially the heavy workloads and expecting a lot and being able to think through problems, because it's just another way to solve problems, right? And yeah. find solutions, which is what engineering is, just using yeah. different tools. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so again, I know it's come up like three times, but IP law. So what kind of, uh, you said science background. So is it just engineers that can go into IP law or what other no, degrees? There's a list of hard science backgrounds that can take the patent bar. Honestly, anyone could go into patent law. Uh, you just wouldn't be able to take the patent bar. So you would okay. be an agent and not an attorney. Okay. But there's a list i can't remember them all but you know chemistry biology engineering you know. things of that nature with that hard science background you can take the patent bar and on top of the regular bar and then you can become a ip you can practice ip law you can be a patent attorney okay sweet thank you so that's the process to become a patent attorney so let's go into the process that you went through to go into law school so first of all you were doing all this while you were still working full-time right yes. so what was what was that process like and then how how did you specifically prep for the lsat and are there any recommendations that you have for for other people that are interested in going the same path especially somebody that might be also working full-time like you were so to get into law school, you have to fill out the long applications, disclose anything in your past that might not make you the best candidate for law school and becoming a lawyer, because they definitely do a deep dive into your background. Really? And then you have to write the personal statement, which I discussed earlier, 
And then yeah. sometimes there's supplement, supplemental essays that you need to write per, for a school about different topics. And then of course you have to take the LSAT. I personally did a lot of practice problems and familiarized myself with the format to prepare. I watched a lot of videos. I would study after work, but honestly it was hard because that wasn't what I wanted to do when I came home from work to do more work. Yeah, um, right. So I kind of decided to just go for it. Uh, mm -hmm. But I did have to learn the tips and tricks on how to answer the logic game section, which is a specific section of the LSAT that wasn't, it's, you need to learn the strategies, I would say, to do it successfully. And then thankfully, there were no interviews necessary to get accepted into law school. You just fill out these applications. Really? And yeah. So none of, none of the law schools that, uh, none of the many law schools that you were accepted to required <laughs> any kind of interviews at all whatsoever? The ones that I applied to did not. Interesting. Is that like, is that standard? As far as I know, um, it's not like med school where you need to interview. They can get a good grasp from what you have to submit. Yeah. And you said disclose anything in your past that might not make you the best. Why, why do they get to know all? I mean, what, what kind of things are they even looking for? Right. So to be bar eligible, yeah, you you have to go through a screening. So you just need to be honest if you got an MIP. You need to be honest if, yeah. you know, there's any criminal history or if you have a, his if you got kicked out of the school for cheating, you have to disclose that. That doesn't necessarily mean you'll be thrown out. Yeah. Um, I personally didn't have to disclose anything. So I'm not entirely sure how the process goes, yeah. but you want to be straight up in your application because later, like you already last year as a, uh, my first year of law school, I filled out the necessary information for the state to run, start running the background tests, checks on me. You have to get wow. your fingerprints taken. So yeah, hopefully they don't figure out what I did in New Mexico. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. These are lawyers need to have yeah. a sound moral character but, and you should be open. Yeah, and I, I guess it, it also helps that if you do, it, it would really suck, right, to go through what, is it three years? Law school's three years, right? Yes. So, so it would really suck to go through all three years and spend all that time and money and also the, I guess the lost income that you would have because law school is full-time. I've never heard of a part-time law school, unless that's a thing, you can correct me. But, you can uh, do, there are, we have a part, all schools mainly have a part-time program and these oh. are people that maybe have families or are working oh, and they okay. go to law school part-time and kind of year round to get in their degree as well, but it, it's a thing. Okay, cool. That, that, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, but anyways, I mean, yeah, it would be, it really suck to do all that. And then, yeah, you apply for the bar and like, yeah, you're not eligible. Why do you waste your time and money? Well, I'm not sure. I think it takes a while for them to oh, okay. tell you if you're eligible. Yeah. I haven't heard back yet. Um, so I don't think you know yet, but I think that's the point of telling these schools just so that they can kind of gauge whether, plus they want people coming to their school who they think will be good representations of the school. So yeah. even if you could technically be bar eligible, maybe they don't want you to go to your school. Yeah. Okay, and I know that this question is later, but I'm going to bring it in now because I think it makes sense. So beyond law school, we've talked a lot about the bar and bar eligible. What do you actually need to do beyond, I guess, not fail this background check and then mm -hmm. graduate from law school to become a lawyer? So like I mentioned, for IP law, you would need to, if you want to be a, an IP lawyer, patent yeah. lawyer, you would need to take the patent bar and the regular bar, but otherwise you just take the bar. Yeah. Sometimes it takes people a couple of times to pass. Normally you take it after you graduate. Mm -hmm. So you think you're done. Nope, you're going to be studying for the bar. Um, and that's kind of your last thing you have to do before you get to be a full-time lawyer. If you decide to move later, depending on what type of bar you take, because it depends what states it covers, you might have to take a new one for that state if they have their own uh, bar exam. Okay, that makes sense. And is there any like continuing education for lawyers? Do they have to like yes. come back in throughout the years and I guess renew their certification? 
there are CLE classes. I'm not entirely sure what the requirements are, but I yeah. do know that some of the stuff that happens around the courthouse people use for their CLE. Okay, sweet. All right, awesome. All right, so I know we dove into it a little bit earlier. So I know you were involved in a lot. Mm -hmm. So softball team, four years, vice president of your sorority, other multiple officer roles in your sorority. You were a member of my favorite club. <laughs> I mean, maybe second favorite club on campus, the uh, American Society of Mechanical Engineers. I should have worn the shirt. Um, <laughs> you started your own mentorship program within that club for freshman engineers to help them get paired with upperclassmen engineers. And you were a member of SWE, Society of Women Engineers. So you were involved in a lot of those things. Were those the most important things to help you get into law school or or what kind of piece did those play in you, into you getting into law school? So I'm sure those extracurriculars helped me get into law school, especially with my personal statement. But I think the most important aspects of your application are your GPA and your LSAT score. But these extracurriculars do look good on my resume when I'm applying to law firms and applying for positions with judges as a 1L, which is a first-year law school student. Nice. You aren't expected to participate in many, if any, extracurricular, extracurriculars. You're really supposed to focus on your grades and the adjustment into law school. So yeah. having these undergraduate extracurriculars really adds to my resume and shows mm. I can be involved in the community. I'm capable of balancing a lot at once. And it just kind of reminded them that I am more well-rounded than just these are my grades and I'm in law school. Yeah. And you said that you think that your personal statement was the thing that kind of beyond the things that matter the most, the GPA and the LSAT score, you think that that's the thing that really sets you apart to get into multiple law schools? Yes, I think it depends what you write in your personal statement. And also you do a lot of writing as a lawyer. So just writing a personal statement that is strong, that the writing is, is well formulated, that your sentences flow, that you don't have grammar issues, just showing, obviously you haven't gone to law school yet, so it's not gonna be perfect, but just showing I'm intelligent and look at the, listen to this personal statement where I'm talking about myself and disclosing some personal information, but yeah. also, this writing sounds good. Yeah. So what is your your kind of day-to-day -day like as somebody that's in law school? I mean, you've done a year of it. So you you I guess you took your first L, didn't you? You completed your one L. So uh, would you consider it to be more rigorous than your time in engineering or how does it kind of compare? So my day-to-day -day involves a lot of reading, more than I ever thought I would do. I would also brief each case that I read and take general reading notes as I read. Yeah. Um, obviously during school year, I'm attending my classes, having office hours with my professors. And then on yeah. the weekends, I build an outline for each class with my study group. Love my study group. Yeah, and you wanna shout them out? Yeah, thanks Zach and Stefan. Um, I would say law school is a lot of work, but in a much different way than engineering. I feel that in law school, if you work hard, you push yourself, you're capable, you will do well. Engineering also takes a lot of hard work, but it's more than that. You have to be able to understand difficult principles and do a lot more than just memorization and application. So I think engineering made it easier for me to be successful in law school because everyone talks about how jarringly difficult it is, the transition to law school. But yeah. In my opinion, it was not as difficult as engineering. Yeah. At least engineering at Trinity in my experience there. Yeah. So I came into law school pretty terrified and kind of feeling a little bit of an imposter syndrome. And then I yeah. left feeling pretty accomplished. Yeah. Your grade really reflects the efforts you put in. Give and take yeah. half a letter grade, you know, someone beats you out and you're like, oh, that's the class I thought I was going to do better in. Yeah. But I rarely felt that way in engineering where your efforts reflect, your grades reflect your efforts. But I really do feel like your hard work pays off in law school. Yeah, that's awesome. And you, how many classes are you taking at a time usually? Uh, 15 to 16 hours, so about five classes. Okay, so you took a total of like 10 classes so far? Mm-hmm. And you got, okay, so, and you got the Cali Award for three of them. Okay, I see you looking like, um, uh, I've been watching a lot of Legally Blonde lately, so uh, <laughs> uh, maybe, uh, oh shoot. You're the future Elle Woods. I, I can't believe I forgot her name. Uh, so yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. So so what is that? 
I guess, you know, we're talking about hair and, and, and hair demographics. So what is the, I know this is the corniest transition I've ever heard <laughs> of in my entire life. Uh, but what, we'll cut what, that part out. <laughs> yeah. What, what is the demographic in your program? Is it like a lot of recent college grads? Is it a, lot, a mix? Guys, girls? I mean, people old, young? Like, what is it like? There's a good chunk of kids, obviously, that are straight from undergrad. But yeah. there's a lot of mix of 20-somethings. And then yeah. adults changing their career path. And there seems to pre be a pretty even distribution between like men and women. Like it's pretty balanced. Um, but there's a good mix of people, you know, that are coming from different paths in life. Maybe they took a year off like me, a lot of straight from law school. There's the older people, you know, that are coming back to changing their career path, which is so inspirational. Yeah. And, and then there's people that maybe went to the army. And so now they're getting their chance to pursue their education more. Yeah. So, so that demographic and that, that mixed group, has it turned into like a pretty like solid mutual community or is it kind of competitive? I mean, it, how, how does that kind of work in law school? And then how does that kind of ex compare to your experience specifically at Trinity for engineering? So law school, I would say, is a mix of collaboration and competition. Since a lot of the classes are curved and rank is very important, everyone is vying for the best grades. Yeah. But people are still supportive, and I have a great study group. You're just hyper aware of who your competition is. Yeah. I feel like Trinity was mainly supportive. We just wanted everyone to do well and make it. And I was always happy when my peers did well, regardless of if that was better than me. But in yeah. law school, since you're being compared to who you're taking classes with, I mean, it's a running joke about even which section is smarter because there's different sections in law school. But everyone at the end of the day is happy and collaborative yeah. for the most part. But there's always that inner sense of, oh, they did a little better than me. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I just I just want to call this out here that Trinity needs to start writing me checks for all the Trinity alumni that are just talking about their positive experiences. Trinity, I'm just I'm just saying, I'm just saying, Danny A, hit me up yeah. anytime. Run him his check. money. Yeah, exactly. I I need it. So yeah, because I gotta pay off. Uh, my yeah, now you have to pay off Trinity. So this is yeah. they can deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so. Looking at your time at Trinity, what kind of undergrad student were you? And has that changed? I mean, how, how, how has that changed since you got to law school? Honestly, I wasn't the best undergraduate student. I'm sure you can uh, attest to that. I, I, had... I, I disagree, okay? Because you had a lot of things going on. And I think that's different than not being a good undergraduate student. But carry on. Yeah. So like you said, I mean, I had a very full plate and I was pretty overworked and pretty tired all the time. And I also didn't have a strict schedule. My day-to-day -day and week-to-week -week was always changing depending on what my extracurriculars were pulling me to do, what big products we had coming up in engineering. So I've gotten in a much better groove and I would say I'm a much better student now. Working for a year really gave me a better perspective. I treat law school like a job and I work every day like 8 a.m., 6 p.m., and then during finals week, I put in more hours, but I always give myself the evening evenings off. I don't pull the all-nighters anymore. I'm just a lot of more efficient and I'm happier as a result. Wow, that that is beautiful. I mean, it's almost like we should like send people to work like a, like some kind of regular work schedule before going to college so that that way they can have some kind of, I don't know, way to regulate themselves and understand what it's like to have some kind of balance. Cause I don't know about you. Cause like for me in high school, I mean, I just basically took all the bad habits I had in high school and they got exasperated. I mean, with like how late night I was operating. So I don't know about you. I mean, were, were, how, how did, how did your high school experience go? Was it kind of similar? I mean, in high school, I was also very busy, but I worked yeah. hard at everything I did. And then I did well. Yeah. I really had to learn how to study in undergrad, like truly study. And honestly, yeah. I don't even think I figured it out until my junior year of college, maybe. There's definitely a learning curve between high school and college. And that, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to found that freshman mentorship program, as you know, just yeah. to kind of give someone a helping hand during that transition, because I know I wasn't prepared for it. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of crazy that the level of what it takes to like learn how to study and college and then I guess you you've leveled it up even further since you've gotten to law school but like I mean I remember I don't know about you I don't know what your moment was but my moment was I took calc three 
freshman year first semester and I had my first exam coming up. So I studied the way I always studied. I glanced through my homework assignments that I did uh, for about five minutes. And then I spent two hours just kind of flipping through my textbook and my notes. And then I said, great. And then I went into my first exam and barely passed. So, and, and that was the moment when I was like, oh, there's there's a lot more to this than just like looking at, looking at stuff. Yeah, so I don't know what your moment was. I think that that's a unique experience at Trinity or at competitive schools because I think it happens eventually for everyone, but maybe at a less rigorous school or a less rigorous program, you can still get by for a little bit doing those bad habits and it's not yeah. till later when you're in those upper advanced classes that you start realizing, oop, things need to change. But at Trinity, like you're in Calc 3 as a freshman, yeah, you get hit with those upper classes, especially as an engineer, you're already in tough classes. So you have yeah. to learn quick and you're just already transitioning, just going to college besides just the school aspect is yeah. a transition for your mental health, your personal life, everything, your social life. Yeah. You're in a, you could be in a new state, who knows? So yeah. there's just a lot of change. And at Trinity, you learn quickly. Oh, and I think for a lot of people, it, it is a math class. I would say it's a math class. Even for people that weren't engineers, Trinity as a liberal arts school made you take a math class. And a lot of people took one their freshman year. And I remember them sitting in BZ Underground or Whitwin being like, I don't know what I'm doing. I need to drop this class. I don't know how yeah. to study for this. Uh, so I think you're not alone there. I would say that I had a lot of those moments where I was like, this isn't working, but my freshman year, I was still adjusting so much that I didn't even know how to fix it. I thought, well, if I just stay up later and keep studying all night, like eventually I'll, I'll get it. Yeah, That's not the way to do it. Sometimes that's all you have left if you wait too long. That's definitely not the way to do it. So I wish I would have realized that early, but I just didn't know what else to do. I didn't know how to fix it. Yeah. But then, then eventually, what, what, what did you do differently that really helped you kind of make that turn? I mean, I I'd like to say that our squad had something to do with it, but maybe, <laughs> maybe you can uh, elaborate. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, I think my freshman year, where I was still figuring out who my friend group was and yeah. who was the good study partners. And then as our study group became more solidified, I started to pick up good habits from everyone and adjust yeah. my own habits a little and it helps I mean I still am in study groups in law school I think it helps having different perspectives granted some things you need to do alone but I really think it can be a good tool as long as you stay focused if you're one of those groups that oh well let's bring a beer while we're studying or like well I haven't seen you in a while let's chat might be a little harder to stay on uh, task and sometimes there's a time for that oh this assignment's easy let it let let's bring a beer but other times you kind of got to get serious so yeah, my favorite study habit was uh, Jeevan hopping into the, the lab like two hours after we've been there and saying, hey, Brian, all right, teach me how to do this. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, that one's I, a good study, good study tool. A Brian, just get a Brian and everything will be better for you. Yeah, Brian Gunther, future guest of the Engineering Success Podcast. But oh, I, I will say that. Yeah, I will say, though, that Brian probably did get a lot out of that, though, because being forced to teach the rest of us all those concepts probably even further solidified them in his head. For sure, for sure. That's what we'll tell him anyways. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So so we've talked a lot about Trinity. We've hyped it up a bunch. So what about your time there really prepared you well for your career? And why should somebody else consider attending the program that you did, the, the BS in Engineering Science program? And after that, I'll just, I'll ask the next part of the question later. Yeah. So, so what, what, what kind of sets you up while going to Trinity? So I would say Trinity's engineering program really prepared me for my design engineering job, honestly, especially the labs and design classes. And as I've said before, the program taught me how to work hard. I worked yeah. at a smaller design company. So I had a lot of assignments constantly rolling through and I had to wear a lot of hats and I think that Trinity's program, making you do a little bit of a flavor of each type of engineering helped me adapt to that well. Yeah. I also think the liberal arts aspect plus the design reports gave me strong writing skills, which transferred to both my engineering job where I was having to write 
manuals, look over patents, and yeah. you you don't think about that aspect of engineering that sometimes you have to do. And law school, obviously, where writing is a huge chunk. I would say that's one of the most important takeaways, just being a really well-rounded student, especially the strong writing skills. It's something that firms have mentioned about Trinity, that Trinity spits out good writers. Yeah, that, that's sweet. And then whenever somebody else is considering a university, they're a high school kid, they're looking at touring universities, what should they be looking for? What are the indicators that you've, I mean, the things that you've spotted from your experience that really, really were really important for you? And what kind of tools did you use the most as a student in undergrad? So it really depends on what you're looking for. Yeah. If you want to go to a big school and get the full, you know, large football team, big fraternities and sororities, large party scene, all of that, maybe Trinity wouldn't be for you. So you have to decide. I prioritized class sizes and really building bonds with professors and being able to participate in a lot of extracurriculars. I played softball. I was a part of a lot of clubs and I was an engineering student. I don't think that's something I could have done at a bigger unit. I know that's something I couldn't have done at a bigger university. Yeah. So it depends what you're looking for. Are you looking to get really involved on campus? Are you looking for more of the typical larger school that has, you know, great things to offer as well um, in terms of the campus life and yeah. the community? Would you, I like that Trinity was a more community feel and I really got to know the people in my program I got to know the professors I got to participate a lot but does that mean I went to crazy parties I mean yes I'm just kidding um <laughs> sometimes debatable that yeah wasn't, that wasn't the focus you know yeah. unfortunately I never went to a football game wait what uh, that's my own that was my own choice <laughs> but um there's there's definitely gives and takes you know some people don't like seeing people they know constantly around campus and they yeah. don't like the, that it feels only slightly larger than their high school. But that was something I was completely fine with because of the other perks it gave me. So you have to just decide what you want for you and what kind of experience you want. Yeah. And, and for you being a woman in STEM, what was your experience at Trinity as a, as a woman in engineering? And then did that change at all whenever you went to the workforce? So I think I had a pretty great experience as a woman in STEM at Trinity. There were times my freshman year when I felt like the guys would underestimate me and maybe not want to choose me to be their partner or whatever, um, yeah. especially like during labs. But I think once you show you can hold your own, that quickly changes. And once you build relationships with people, um, although women were, were the minority, I really felt less than. And it allowed me to have a lot of great guy friends. And I honestly feel like, it, I, it didn't feel like a huge uh, issue at, at Trinity. It was pretty well managed. Uh, but yeah. in, the, in the workforce, especially oil and gas, it's a little bit different. Uh, you know, you're maybe the only girl in the field or whatever the case might be. And I felt a little stereotyped and talked down to for being a woman, especially because of my age and then the position that I had. And sometimes I was, I'm a year in and I'm already over guys that have been out in the field for years. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't always taken seriously and I really had to work to earn my respect. What I wish I could do is go back and tell myself to stand up for myself more, not let those men make crude comments and disparaging remarks. You know, I was nervous and worried that I would come off as sensitive, uh, but there's nothing wrong with having a voice when you're uncomfortable and there's nothing wrong with standing up for yourself. And these guys aren't, there's always other jobs. And if they're not, if they take it wrong that you're standing up for yourself, you don't need to be in that situation. So personally, I would go back and tell myself to have a voice more and not just smile and giggle and then process it later and be like, what just happened? Why would, yeah. I was a little inappropriate just to kind of be more vocal about being uncomfortable, like find another woman ally. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, so beyond that, do you have any other advice for girls that are interested in pursuing a career in engineering? I know it's not always like that and and obviously you said that there um that there it's there's always other jobs and there's always going to be other cultures that are better for you but other than that i mean do you have any other advice for girls that are interested in pursuing engineering because we obviously don't want to discourage it of course and i wouldn't i would say just don't let anyone underestimate you even if you aren't as like physically strong as your male counterparts you can be just as useful out in the field there are strengths that women can bring to a team that can increase efficiency and success that sometimes men just don't have 
and becoming an engineer can open so many doors. So I encourage anyone interested to give it a go and not give up. There's really no reason I would say to let any fear uh, deter you from becoming an engineer. Yeah. And then I guess kind of closing then. So how about law school? I mean, what, what, what kind of advice do you have for kids that are in high school or just now starting out in college that are looking into go be a lawyer? I suggest taking a year off. I find that most of the older students are more motivated than those coming straight from undergrad, take it a little bit more seriously. Yeah. I also, like I said, suggest treating it like a job, having a strict schedule. And then if you know what you're interested in, this would be more applicable for like high school, college. If you know what you're interested in, try to intern for a firm that will expose you to that area to see if that's what you really want to do. And that way you can figure that out early on. Granted, you'll be young, your interests will change. Maybe it will be a little over your head, but just getting a little exposed to law is definitely going to be helpful for you. Yeah. So, so how are you feeling as, as somebody that's kind of gone to this point and you're like, all right did engineering, got that. Now I'm in law school and now you're just kind of looking forward to this, I don't know, this career is completely, I, I would say it's just like this completely new journey that you have ahead of you. I mean, how, how are you feeling looking forward? I'm excited. There's, I don't, I don't know what's going to be in store for me. You know, I just think that this is a little bit of a better fit for me. And I enjoy it. I honestly do so far. And I enjoyed the school aspect and I've enjoyed my internship. Yeah. I'm just, I'm excited to see what will happen. Um, I'm not, I still enjoy engineering too, which is why I want to check out IP law. So I'm not completely writing off engineering. I just think that maybe I'm a little more, I have more strengths in law than engineering, but honestly you can excel in anything if you work hard enough at it. So I, I don't, your love for it is what matters, but you could be good at anything. Yeah. And it, and it sounds like you've kind of taken that mentality to everything is you just kind of look at everything and you're like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. I can do <laughs> all these different things. And I mean, it's just, I don't know. It, it It's just amazing to watch as, as somebody that's been your classmate and been your colleague and is grateful to call himself your friend. I just, oh, it's thanks, just Daniel. yeah. I mean, I just, I'm just thoroughly amazed every single time I get a life update from you and a career update. I mean, the minute that you said you're going to go into law, I was like, that is the coolest thing ever. I wish I had the guts to make any kind of shift that big. I mean, not that I want to. Um, shout out to my current coworkers that are listening to the podcast. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not trying to change. I love it at my job. Yeah, I, I love my job. Yeah, no. Um, but but man, that's just. Ah, it's just so exciting and so refreshing to watch. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that you, that you shared. And, and I know that your optimistic mentality towards the future is, and combined with your work ethic, I just can't wait to see the lawyer that you become or whatever you decide to be. I mean, I mean, who knows? Maybe you'll get your, um, your MD next. I don't know. No, no, oh, no, wow. please, please, no, please don't. <laughs> then you'll be in school until you're 50, but. Yeah, I will just never make money. I will just always be in debt. Yeah. Yeah. But man, I thank you, Daniel. Yeah. So, so, so you talked about your family earlier and you you shouted out a couple of friends. Do you have any other people that you want to just recognize and give shout outs to before we close out? Sure. I'll shout out my parents, Kelly and Pat Goldweight for always encouraging me to take risks and do what I think is best for me and always being my biggest supporters. They knew I could do it before I could. Um, and honestly, I'll shout out you, Daniel, for reaching out because that's so nice of you. And it was so nice to see you. I feel like it's been a long time. Thank you, COVID. Uh, but yeah, this has been a cool experience. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. So I, I guess we'll close out now and then we'll probably do what we did before the podcast and talk for another 20 minutes. because <laughs> There's so much to catch up on. But um, hopefully, if my podcast is still getting traction, there will be a slight ad break after this. Um, I don't know. I don't think this is, I don't think, I think this is a too, uh, too uh, explicit of content to be, uh, Mm. to receive ad revenue. No, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's so inappropriate. Yeah, it's so inappropriate. But um, yeah, well, after this ad break, I'll answer some questions from Reddit because people don't like to write into me. 
but and I'll then we'll uh, yeah okay do it <laughs> yeah and then yeah anybody else should do it but yeah thanks Riley I really appreciate you stopping by the podcast it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for having me I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did, and I hope you enjoyed an ad, a lovely, lovely ad. That means that people still want to listen to my podcast. All right, let's kick it into the first recurring bit of the podcast. I'm going to read the question, and then we'll get to hear the bit at the end. This one comes from Reddit Computer Science Career Questions, and their question asker says, How to cope with a low-competence manager who is the wife of the CEO? Nice. They say they want to say I'm a full stack engineer with multiple years of work experience and a certification as an IT professional, three year apprenticeship, and I'm working in an office room with the wife of the owner of the company. She is managing the web and software development department, which is primarily me, but has a severe lack of competence. I tried to convince her to use version control, but she don't want to use it probably because it's too complicated. Yeah, version control and software in any industry is pretty important. Once she sent me an email accusing me to have broken the production site. As I was looking through the source code, I noticed someone deleted a folder and it definitely was not me. She is frequently bossing me around, playing favoritism, and recently she's making hints, spreading rumors that I might be autistic. I'm not. Luckily, the other employees are really nice and not supporting the bullying. I believe she is insecure about her own competence and status. That's why she is trying to push me down. All right. You ready for it? Quit your job. At least start looking for another one. Uh, obviously, this this manager is not a good person to work under. And unfortunately, unless there's a relationship between them and the CEO of the company that we don't know about, there's a good chance that she's not going anywhere. So I would either start looking for another role somewhere else in the company, but again, then again, you know, she's the wife of the CEO, so she always has that influence. And really, I mean, once she started going past work performance and she started going to personal comments about you potentially having autism, which is just in generally, in general, an offensive thing to talk about, uh, I would recommend trying to at least leave that role at a minimum and at a maximum quitting your job and starting at least looking for another job and then quitting. So that's our segment of the quit your job, our quit your job segment. All right, going into the first career question after that segment. This one's from our Ask Engineers. How do you deal with overachieving and hardworking coworkers? They go on to say, I've always done my job right. I used to be an overachiever, but I got burnt out, and now I stick with my responsibilities and fully complete them. My new coworkers moved to another team are next level. One guy is an overachiever to the max, and my other coworker literally breathes this job. He comes in on the weekends and stays late during the week. He's an older guy with no wife or kids, and he even said this job is his number one priority. I'm feeling pressured to match their level. Part of me respects their work ethic and wants to improve myself. And the other part of me is just mentally clocked out. Not sure how to navigate my relationship with them and also how to set boundaries. I think this is a great question because this is just something that I think a lot of people either experience or will experience or want to avoid experiencing in their careers. And I will say that I think that you've done a pretty good job of setting yourself boundaries where you, you stick with your responsibilities and you fully complete them, a.k.a. you're doing what is described to your job. And so I think the first thing I'd do is if I were you, I'd, I'd have a conversation with your manager about it and be like, hey, I, I see what's happening around me. Um, that's not what I want to do. I, I'm good at my job. I believe I'm good at my job. I feel like I'm meeting my responsibilities. I just want to run this by you and confirm that you believe that I'm also that you also believe that I'm meeting my responsibilities and and if that's the case then I think that you're good uh the only other thing I would I would do is is that you know communicate to your coworkers that hey I th these are my boundaries this is what I'm going to work and I, I I respect that you want to work hard and, and you want to push extra but that's just not within my responsibilities and I don't you can honestly even just say I don't get paid enough 
to put in that kind of hours and 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 give that kind of extra time i'm 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 fulfilling my responsibility as an employee and the the last thing i'd say is that except the fact that these people are overachieving and they might get rewarded for that and you have to kind of be a little bit okay with that i mean I'm not saying that there isn't value in people that um, that they show up when they're supposed to show up. They they stop working when they're supposed they're stop they're supposed to stop working, and they do all the responsibilities. There's a lot of value for that, and uh, companies will even promote people and and help those people grow that have balance in their lives. But there might also be companies that look to kind of take advantage of or or at least recognize that people are trying to overachieve and then give them opportunities to continue to overachieve for the company it's in some companies it might be in their best interest to do so so part of it is also accepting that that might happen and and being okay with watching that happen and being rewarded so i'm not saying that all companies reward that but some companies may and you might have to be okay with that so um i think that the combination of having a conversation with your manager and making sure that you are on the right path and you're meeting your responsibilities is the first step then having the conversation with your coworkers and establishing what your boundaries are that hey I'm, I'm here to do my job this is my responsibility i'm not going to stay for no reason or stay after work whenever it's something that can be done tomorrow i, I have other things that are other priorities of mine and i have a life outside of work that i really want to maintain and then lastly accepting the fact that they might have opportunities to advance that or they might stand out for overachieving and recognizing that that's okay. So, all right. I hope that's helpful. All right, going into the second career question. This question is titled, The Engineering Mindset. They go on to say, So I've been reading about engineering, and the mindset is brought up very often. Kids who like to take things apart and put them back together generally tend to be cut out for engineering life. How much of that is actually true? If you don't fit the bill, should you just look for another career path? I think this is a really good question, and I think it. I think some people might have imposter syndrome, or we have a lot of engineers out there that didn't actually pursue engineering because they were told this. I will be the first one to say that, yes, I did enjoy taking things apart, and I didn't do a very good job of putting them back together, <laughs> at least not on my own. I, I did like Nerf gun mod modifications a little bit, but honestly, that was mostly my friends and I was just helping them with them. But I, I so I really wasn't the engineer that that took a lot of things apart and put them back together. Um, but I don't think that that's the true that's the entire entirety of being an engineer. Engineers like to look at problems, comprehend problems, and then try to come up with solutions to problems. And I have always had that mindset. I have always been fascinated at understanding why things work the way they are. And that's not not, not just physical things, but uh, processes and uh, governments and, and stuff like that. I, I've always had a desire to learn about why things are the way that they are. And how they and think about why that how how or why they could be better. Um, so I haven't had that the, the physical engineering uh, mindset, but I've always had the mentality that I'm always looking for solutions to things, and that's a whole other conversation about uh, going back into the last podcast, comfort or solutions, uh, getting over that barrier, not problems or solutions for anybody who listened to that podcast and was very confused about my about what what they could do with problems or solutions but but yeah um comfort or solutions um that engineering mindset about wanting to solve problems and wanting to learn and wanting to figure out why things are the way they are and how they can be better i think that that is what you should have to be cut out for an engineer but even then maybe somebody else's engineering mindset is different than the way that i've described it um so uh, I'd be happy to hear other people's ver- takes and on what their version of the engineering mindset is and why they felt their calling to be an engineer. But yeah, I definitely think you should have a mindset, but I wouldn't say that the engineering mindset is limited to just taking things apart or you want 
for example, playing with Legos or, or that kind of stuff. I think there's, it, the engineering mindset manifests itself in many different ways. And it's not that you won't be cut out for being an engineer, but the way that engineering degree programs are structured is that you might have difficulty uh, completing an engineering program if you don't have a version of that mindset because it's a lot of problem solving, a lot of super hypercritical thinking and trying to think outside the box or not necessarily outside the box, but the way the engineering test problems are written is you've been given all these principles and you really have to think about how you can apply all those principles to this specific problem set in the process and of which you go about trying to come up with a solution is is a very inane ingrained thing and the engineers so um yeah i wouldn't say that you have to like to take things apart and put them back together but there is definitely a mindset that sets people up well for being engineers so yeah i i hope that you that you find that helpful and uh, I hope that you are able to find the career that is the best for you if it is engineering. And if not, then I hope you find the best career for you that's not engineering. But I wish you the best regardless. And that will do it for our questions part of the podcast and for this ninth episode of the Engineering Success Podcast. As a reminder, if you want to support the podcast, do that right on my Anchor site. There's a button that says support the podcast on the main page. Just click that and it'll give you an option to give a monthly donation uh, or a one-time donation. Uh, Choose whatever is best for you or don't choose anything at all. Again, this is more of a passion project than than a money-making project. But again, I hope that you find this podcast helpful. And if you do or you know somebody that you think would benefit from it, please go ahead and share it with them and let them know they can listen to it on any of their preferred podcast websites. Anyways, this has been the Engineering Success Podcast. I'm Daniel Dollinger, and I will hear from you next week.